So James chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 14 this morning, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. It says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith, Without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And we need to pray for wisdom for this. Father, uh, again, as we look to your word, we thank you for it. And Lord, help us to understand this passage and help us to, to glean what we can from it, how to apply it to our lives, Lord. Lord, we just and I just pray, Lord, that your word would not only convict us, but to change us this morning. Help us to conform to it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So obviously I've been through this to some extent already and tried to put it into some context that we're not really talking about the salvation of our soul so much as what is a profit? Like what's, what use is your salvation? What use is your faith if it doesn't change you? Um, it does no good to anybody. The whole point, like our prayer this morning, is to let God use us to change the world, to reach the world. If it doesn't change us, if there's nothing happening in us because of our faith, nobody else is ever going to be saved through God using you. And the whole point is that God wants to use you. That memory verse, Ephesians 2.10, says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are supposed to, because we are saved, do something. <laughs> We're supposed to change. Be different. Last week I talked about uh, Titus chapter 2 that says we are, he wants to create, he wants us to be a peculiar people. He wants us to be different from the world. 
living a different kind of life. And I just, I want to look at this just a little bit this morning. Um, two different aspects of it. I want to get into what, what some of that looks like in our lives of living our faith, letting our faith create works in our lives. But I want to look a little bit at the example. I'm not going to do this, use the second one this morning. That would just take too much time to get into all of it. But the, the example with Abraham is important. And it talks, um, verse 21, says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Go over to, if you would, um, Hebrews 11. And I want to look at how Hebrews 11 describes what happened. It's, it's actually, now we could have gone back to the Old Testament and, and read through the story of when God told Abraham to offer Isaac to bring him and up to the mountain and, and do the sacrifice. But Hebrews 11 actually gives us more useful information besides just the story of what took place. It gives us actually God's perspective of what was going on and what God saw behind the scenes. So, so in Hebrews 11, um, verse 8 starts off with Abraham. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. And so we looked at that ages ago now, this idea that God called Abraham and Scripture in various places says Abraham believed God. Well, what did his belief cause him to do? To go and do the thing that God said. He believed God and therefore he stepped out from his family and went to go find this place that God said he was going to give him. His faith caused action. Um, That's not the example that was given in James, so we'll go down to that example, um, which starts in verse 17. It says, so this is Hebrews 11, verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham... When he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. That was Abraham. Interesting wording there, though. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, we'll, we'll stop there. It switches over to Isaac in the next verse. But it's interesting. Verse 19 tells us what God saw. He saw Abraham's faith in his action. When God asked him to offer up Isaac, well, Abraham still believed God in the promise that God had made that his seed was going to be carried on through Isaac. 
that God was going to create a great nation through him. And the promise was through Isaac. And so Abraham couldn't possibly have comprehended what God was going to do or how this was going to happen. But it just shows Abraham's faith in God. And because he believed God, he believed that God was going to fulfill his promise no matter what happened. So he took Isaac and he went willingly to go and offer Isaac to God. He was going to kill Isaac. Did he kill Isaac? No. <laughs> he didn't. Um, scripture elsewhere describes, it says, God will provide himself a lamb. <laughs> and in the story, we see that he's about to kill Isaac. He's got him tied up and he's on the altar. The wood is there. He's about to, to kill him and light the fire. And there's a sheep over in the bushes. And God stops Abraham and he puts the sheep in place of Isaac. Well, what's the point of all that? Well, it's a picture of our salvation. We, we are to, the wages of sin is death, right? Our sin requires our death. Our sin requires damnation in hell, like eternity in hell. But God provided himself a lamb in the person of Jesus Christ. And he put him in our place. We were supposed to be the one on that altar. And he put Christ there in our place so that we could live. It's a picture of our salvation. And it's, it's just his faith. Now, if Abraham just said, I believe you, God, and didn't go up and follow the instructions that God gave, did he really believe? <laughs> right? So, and this is the, the battle that we, we come into, right? It's like this whole discussion that we've been having. It's like, well, if we don't do something, <laughs> did you actually believe? Because in this case, like, if Abraham didn't obey God and actually just step out and do the thing that God said to do, would he have, like, could he say he had believed? Well, his faith required that he did the thing. Our salvation is, a, is, is not a, a thing of doing. It wasn't, in this scenario, there was never a point where God said, in order for you to be saved, you must do this thing. Right? It wasn't, his salvation that was on the line for the obedience. It was the faith. It was he believed God and that was counted to him for righteousness. But him believing God results in his 
following through with the thing that God asked him to do. And this is really where we get into in James. Paul is so clear that it had nothing to do with what I did. Didn't create or give me salvation. Abraham offering up Isaac isn't what saved him. It's his faith that saved him. And that's, we go through Romans and Galatians and all these places we can, we've been through. And it's so clear that it's not the obedience of doing things that has anything to do with our salvation. It's only our faith in what Christ did in our place. But that's when we get to James now. He's like, what is it profit? What good is your faith if it doesn't do anything? Now, I can give you numerous scenarios where a person may have come to faith and circumstances brought them down a road where we see no works. We see no change in their life. And I don't doubt their salvation. I might not see their salvation, but I don't doubt that that person exists in the world. But if you're sitting here, you don't have that excuse. You're being taught. You have the opportunity for that to effectually work and change you. And the problem, the reason James is writing this is because of the church that he's talking to had the opportunity. They had scriptures. They have a pastor. They have teaching. They have a fellowship together. There is no reason why their life hasn't changed and that their faith isn't creating some outward expression of that that is evident to people to look at and say, something's different with that person. <laughs> These people didn't have it. And that's the problem. When we look um, in the beginning of the chapter in James, um, it's kind of reveals part of the issue that's there. Um, so chapter 2, I'll just start in the beginning here and read a little bit of it. It says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my brethren, sorry, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Read this. Here's the issue. 
Is this church? I, I don't know exactly. I didn't look into who, who he's talking to here. I don't know who this group of people is or where they are or what the circumstance around them is. But I can guess pretty close just by reading that. That we're in a community that's a business community. There's, this is not Tecabeca Falls and O'Connor Township. We're, we went to, to milk the cow last night and I put on my coveralls and my jacket and there's more holes than there is cover on my coveralls and my, my jacket's about the same. Like, I, you don't, I wouldn't walk to your door and knock on your door and invite you to church looking like that. <laughs> you wouldn't want to come probably. <laughs> like, who is this guy? But among us, that's almost like nobody bats an eye hardly when you dress like that. And a person could walk in in their raggedy barn clothes like that and well, half of us do that sometimes. So, so we don't care, right? So this isn't our issue, but we need to understand like this is an issue for some people. Uh, I watched like, a very short portion of, a, of an interview. This guy's just interviewing some girl on the street, asking her about who or what her expectations are if she was to go on a date. And her expectation is that not only does the guy have to pay for this date, but she expects a minimum of a $200 meal as her date. Like, if that's not what she's getting, she is not going. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> she's not getting anybody here, I don't think. But, <laughs> but you, when you start to, think, like, this isn't, they're not interviewing people from Kekabaka Falls, are they? They're in a city somewhere where the people have a little bit more money, have a little bit more status and stupidity. Uh, stupidity. <laughs> but it's, it's like they care about what the appearances are. Her, her justification, I, I just had to hear it. Like, her justification was her makeup that she... You, costs like $400 worth of products that she slathers on her face to, to make herself look what she thinks is presentable. I'm like, eh. <laughs> but that's her justification. Like the, the guy asked her, so, so what does he get in return? He's like, me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> but um, that's the problem here, though. This description is... This church is looking at people, and if you walk in wearing some nice clothes, some expensive jewelry, someone's coming to shake your hand and welcome you, and I don't know, but it obviously didn't look like this. Like, where's the best seats here? I can't tell if it's the front or the back, but, but it's in this setting, whatever this is, there's some better seats and some lesser seats there's if you're important you get to sit here and if you're not important you 
end up sitting over here. And if you were rich, they're ushering you into the best spot in the house. Like, it didn't matter who you are or what your life looks like or, or anything about you other than you have something to give. Sounds like a Baptist. <laughs> um, the people are, and the accusations, you're judging their hearts based on their, their presentation. When we get over into the passage that we read, we see how this actually plays out a little bit. He's, in verse 15, it says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what is a profit? It's like, we're so spiritual that we don't actually provide the physical needs of the people that are walking into our, our church. We're not even accepting that this poor person might have a better relationship with the Lord than, than what this rich person does. There's a real issue here. There's a real reason why James is writing what he's writing here is because there is no outward proper expression of the faith that they claim to have. They're gathering together as a group calling themselves Christians, calling themselves a church. But they're they're not honoring God in any way. They're not doing the things that God says to do of taking care of the poor and the widow and the, right? They're not, their life doesn't exhibit the things that God instructs. Just, just simple, basic stuff. Um, if we look over at, I'm going to go to two places, Philippians 4 to start with and then to Second Corinthians. Philippians chapter 4. So Philippians 4, and I'll just read a few verses here, uh, starting in verse 15. It says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, we read this, and I want you to just catch what took place. Paul ministered to these people in Macedonia, and when he left on his missionary journey to go reach more people, this group of people took up an offering and on more than one occasion sent a messenger to deliver this gift to Paul to take care of his needs. And Paul's response is acknowledging that this is a an this offering is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. He says it's an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Then in verse 19, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we see a little bit more about that that we just read in in Philippians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. I'll read a bit and then I'll skip and read a couple more verses here. So starting 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia... So we get, we're talking about the same group here. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave them their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as he abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, And in your love to us, see that ye abound, that ye abound in this grace also. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 13. So 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13. It says, For I mean not that other men be eased and burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, And that their abundance also may be a supply for your want. That there may be equality. Now, I don't think God's a communist exactly. (laughs) But to the point is like, he's talking about, we read in this Philippian church, how Paul praises them for the sacrifice the offering that they sent to him, the gifts that they sent. And he's encouraging them, saying that God shall supply all your need according to his riches. 
read the description in 2 Corinthians, it says how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Their deep poverty. These people didn't have any excess to give. They were already in poverty. And verse 5 says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch. Now, they, they're giving. I'm not asking for money. <laughs> I'm just saying that Paul's praising these people, their faith, and he says they gave themselves to the Lord first. Not their money. They gave themselves to the Lord. It's like, this isn't the description you see in James, right? James is berating these people because you have this show of religious whatever, but you're not living it. You're not doing anything of any value and you're lifting up the rich people and you're putting down the poor people. You're not doing anything good for anybody. There's no action from your faith. And then he describes in Philippians 4, it's like, you guys are doing a great thing and God is going to provide for you because of what you're doing. That doesn't necessarily tell us that they were poor and that they gave beyond measure. But when we see his description to the Corinthian church, we see that, yeah, these people were poor and they gave what they didn't have to give. They were going to suffer for the sake of providing for the other brethren. They didn't care what it cost them. That's the faith. That's the outpouring of our faith that James is talking about. That he wants to see, that God wants to see in his people. He wants us, as Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He wants us to live a life that's willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to demonstrate God's love for people. And in particular, among the brethren. Um, we, can, we see that in various places. Um, I'm going to look at Luke 9. Jesus, Jesus is just dealing with people. He's in his ministry. People are, are coming to him. They want to be with him. They want to follow him. As we get to the end of the chapter here, Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Nice answer. <laughs> Verse 
59, he continues, and, and he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what does this have to do with anything? (laughs) Jesus is telling people your faith, if you're going to live it, is going to cost you. If you're going to actually follow me. Some things in your life are not going to look the same as they used to. There is going to be a change. Apostle Paul, I I think we talked about this not too long ago, maybe it was a Bible study, I don't know. Um, He's talking about the racing and he says, I I press on toward the mark, the high price. The prize of the high calling of God. But in that description, he says, not looking back, but pressing forward. And Jesus, in verse 62, he says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, it's a recognition that God wants to change you. God wants you to be a new person, a peculiar people. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to be of any value in the kingdom of God, he says, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Um, some of you were farmers. <laughs> I was planting potatoes a couple years ago and the farmer's daughter came up to me, looks down the row of potatoes. Says, That's not a very straight row. <laughs> Like, yeah, I know, but doing my best here. <laughs> you don't create a straight row by looking back at what you've done. You create the straight row by looking ahead and picking a spot and you drive that tractor from where you are to that spot. Nobody, no farmer, no self respecting farmer, wants a field full of crooked rows. <laughs> They want a straight row. They want this thing to look right. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. And I bet you this is probably much harder when you're behind a horse or a pair of oxen, right? <laughs> and your, your, hand's on the, your hand is actually on the plow itself. Can you imagine looking behind you there and being able to control where this thing's going? Like, there's no way. It's bad enough with the tractor. <laughs> you keep your hand on the wheel and you've got to aim it to that spot. You've got to keep it going. And if you're 
looking back the whole time, you're making a mess of the field. If you're looking back at what you used to be, you'll never become what God wants you to be. You have to let God change you. And you can only do that by looking forward. Looking at what he wants you to be. And that's a changed person. Um, one last passage. First John. First John chapter 3. First uh, John 3, and I'll start in verse 17. It says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now, here's some instruction of Love, love one another. That's the brethren in particular that he's, he's describing um, other believers, not just... He's not suggesting we go into... A, take our poverty and go in deeper into poverty to give to the lost world. Like the drug addict, the drunk that's standing on the corner begging day after day, week after week, year after year... <laughs> doesn't matter how much they receive, their life never changes. They just go back to that corner and they do the same. You giving of yourself, of putting your, your own family in a hard financial position, taking food off your own family's table to give to that person, you've done no good to that person. That's not what it's talking about. If you're going to change that person's life, you would have to take them off the street. You would have to get them off the drugs and off the alcohol. You would have to give them Christ and transform their life. To just feed the addiction by giving them indiscriminately is doing no good at all. So that's, you have to use some discretion in what this looks like in doing this. People will look at this stuff and like, oh, we're supposed to give to the poor. And you just, you see that guy on the corner and you, you just give because you think you're supposed to, but 
have you done the person any good by doing it? Um, there's, there's more need than just you handing them some spare change, right? That spare change is going to put them further in the gutter. So that's not what it's talking about. There's people who have needs that we can provide those needs. We need to provide needs with discretion and wisdom. Now we could get cynical and say, well, everybody that we see is just, you know, a useless <laughs> bum that doesn't, you know, they're just going to waste it and not give anything. Well, that's, that's not the right answer either. We still need some discretion. <laughs> but the point in this, our faith, part of it is to love, part of the instruction to us is to love the brethren, to love the family. And he says, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. James, dealing with these people, says, you know, if you tell someone that knocks on your door asking for help and say, oh, you know, be filled and warmed and slam the door in their face and they still have no clothes and no food, you haven't helped them, right? You're just blessing them and sending them on their way didn't do any good either. And now John is saying the same thing, like, you need to actually provide what the person needs. The person on the corner doesn't just need your spare change and a little bit of food. They need a changed life. Now, if you're going to help them, you've got to help them change their life. If it's somebody in our church that's just something is going on in life and they're hard-pressed and they can't pay next month's rent or whatever the thing is, they can't put food on the table for the kids, well, some of us could spare a little bit right? We could go without a meal or two and here, we could do something, not just give them a blessing and send them on their way and, oh, we love you and we'll pray for you. That's not helping. That's not my faith being profitable to anybody. My faith is that I believe that God will provide all my need regardless of what I sacrifice to help you in your time of need. That's, I believe God will provide. And my believing that God will provide, exactly as Abraham did and he offered, he showed up to offer Isaac, and God provided what Abraham needed as he was willing to give everything he had. Because he believed that God would provide. If you believe that God will provide and you act accordingly, then God will provide. Maybe we don't, maybe we're not as poor as we think we are. <laughs> and so God's not going to magically dump a load of cash in your lap just because you gave five bucks to help somebody out somewhere, right? Like, there's some. <laughs> But God wants us to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of ourselves to help somebody that actually has more need than what we have. And our faith should create that action. 
Because if I really believe that God is able to provide, then I should be willing to give everything I've got right now, trusting that God will provide my need again when I have it. I hope that makes sense. Let's pray.